Welcome back to the Rehab for Runners podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa, and today I want to welcome Dr. Angie Brown. Hey, Lisa, what's happening? Doing good. I'm so excited you're here because you are one of the few people from social media that I have actually met in person a month and a half ago. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. It totally does. It's so funny how like time has been working the past month and a half because I totally agree that the last like month and a half has felt like six months at least. <laughs> Yeah. With the holidays and everything, I completely agree. But mm-hmm. I know yeah. what, back when we met in December and we were talking, I know one thing we were talking about is how a lot of runners tend to really focus on you know, their stats, their data. It's like, how can they work harder? And while that is really important, I think one thing that I realized when I was running the marathon is how important the mental side is. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to talk about that today. Is that something that you experienced firsthand or you saw more with like your one-on-one clients, how self-sabotaging and like working on your mental performance can really improve your physical performance? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's something that has been really developing both personally and professionally for me for over 17 years now, really as a physical therapist. Like, you know, if we want to take it all the way back, you know, my background in undergrad was a double major in pre-med and psychology. So I've always been fascinated by the human mind and how it works and the effect that it has on everything that we do in our lives. And, you know, going through PT school, like, you know, this as a physical therapist also, when you're working with a patient and you're trying to get down to both the root cause of what's going on with them and then also figure out how to, quote unquote, motivate them to do their exercises that you know are going to do actually help them, right? Because there's so mm-hmm. many different types of patients out there. And there are some patients that you know that they come in and they get their evaluation and you give them their home exercise program and they go home and they do it religiously and then they get better. And you're like, Hallelujah, right? And then there are those other patients that know what they're supposed to be doing, but don't actually do it. And you're like, well, why aren't why aren't you doing it, right? And so it was always fascinating to me of like people that know what they should be doing, quote unquote, should be doing, right, or what a professional is telling them to do that is going to help them. Why aren't you actually doing it? And then when I look around at just our society as a whole, also it's the same thing, right? Like living a healthy life is not rocket science. It, it sometimes seems to be nowadays because there's so much information out there and there's so much conflicting information out there. It can be hard to sort through it all. But at the end of the day, we need to move our bodies. We need to eat nutritious foods, and the majority of the population aren't doing that. Why? Like, why aren't they doing it? Right. And so that kind of is one of the things that always fascinates me, just like in the general population as a whole. And then obviously when I'm working with my patients and my clients, same thing, you know, you have some clients that you give them a training plan and they do all the workouts on their training plan and they get great results and they're doing fantastic. And then there's other ones that have a, have a really hard time being consistent and they're they know that they want to achieve a certain goal and they're hiring a running coach and they're you know coming to me for help but they're not going out and doing their runs even when I'm telling them what to do what what's happening here right and so i think that's one of the the big things that's really led me to to really dig in more to the mental side of running and the mental side of really everything that we do in our life because our thoughts ultimately control everything that happens in our life. And um, so really getting to understand that on a deeper level, I feel like I can help my clients in so many 
other ways other than just prescribing some exercises for them. Yes, absolutely. I mean, no one wants to do rehab exercises. Let's face it. <laughs> even if you're exactly. even if you're injured, even if you know you have discomfort, like even as physical mm-hmm. therapists, like I don't want to do my rehab exercises. You don't want to do them. Like you want to be running, but it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing with like I don't necessarily want to do every speed workout, but I'm still going right. to do it because I know these things help. Like I don't want to be doing certain things, but mm-hmm. you know that they help. So I think, you know, it's important to look at that mental side because I mean, even runners know like most of your training, most of your performance is it depends on your mental strength. And mm-hmm. It's like we know that. Like, what's the saying? Like, 80% of a marathon is like mental and it's like 20% physical. But are we actually working on our mental side while we are in training, outside of training, strength workouts, hard workouts? Or are we, is our mental side affecting our training in a negative way where we could be Mm -hmm. performing much better? We could be doing these things much better, but Mm -hmm. maybe we're self sabotaging ourselves. I think that's something I've seen a lot more and like also have fought with myself through training. So yeah. I think I think that part's like really, really interesting to see from the mental side because we know the physical side, you know, we know mm-hmm. well as physical therapists, but the mental side, it's important not only for rehab, but for performance as well. Absolutely. And like everything that we do is generated from our thoughts, right? Whether or not we think that something is going to help us or not really make an effect, that's going to to determine whether or not we do that thing. So yes, the mental side I think is extremely important. And and to to your point of, you know, I think that runners are really good in general at focusing on the physical stuff. And they think that, well, if I just do the workouts, if I just do the runs, then the mental side will take care of itself. Right. Like just by me going out and doing these hard runs and pushing through and, and doing this training plan, then I, I will be mentally prepared. And I don't, I think that that is something that we can often get wrong a lot. And I think a lot of runners don't realize that we can train the mental side in the same way that we train the physical side through specific exercises, through, you know, different things that we focus on or don't focus on in a given workout. Like, yes, we can totally use running to help improve our mental strength and improve our mental um, resilience, right? Because we all know that with running, things don't always go the way we want it to, right? Like there are good days Mm -hmm. and there are bad days. There are runs that feel amazing and you feel like you could just keep going forever. And there are runs that you want to quit five minutes into the run and that unfortunately don't get better 20 minutes into the run. And you just kind of slog (laughs) through it and get, you know, um, finish the run. You just kind of get the miles in, right? And um, in those times, in a lot of these times, there's different things that we can do. We can use those times to make us stronger mentally, which will then help to support us when we are in races or in some sort of competition that we know or we kind of have these tools that we can fall back on that we can utilize and and kind of pull out of our tool belt when we need them more. Yeah, definitely. Are there certain factors that you have found with the client who is doing what they're told, they are checking off the workouts and like almost like indirectly becoming more mentally strong versus the runner who is being told what to do, but not necessarily doing what they're told? Like, do you see any different like traits in those two different runners? Because that's very different. And we could just say it's like discipline, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than discipline. 
Yeah, it definitely goes deeper than discipline. And there's, you know, multiple ways that we tend to, you know, self-sabotage ourselves. And like, that's, that's really what I kind of look, the way that I look at this is like people that know what they need to do and aren't doing it. It's some sort of self-sabotage, right? Because they want something, but they're getting in their own way because they're not doing what they need to do. Right. And so there's like, to me, I think that there's like some some main ways that we self sabotage, and and you know I can give you some of those um, things that I often see, but ultimately I think that you know to answer your question, it comes down to identity. It comes down to the the type of person we think we are, the type of runner that we think that we are. It comes down to essentially our beliefs about ourselves and about our abilities. Because if you don't believe that you are capable of something, you're going to do something else to self-sabotage yourself. Because ultimately, our brains like to be right, right? Our brains do not like being wrong. And so if we have a story about ourselves, and maybe that story is conscious and maybe that story is unconscious. And part of what I love to do is really help people get to the root of those unconscious belief systems that are essentially running their life, right? Essentially directing what they're doing and what they're not doing. Um, But there's ultimately some sort of belief system underlying all of it that is telling that person what they can and can't do, what they're capable of or not capable of. And that's where I think, you know, people try to use some of these mental tools like mantras or other things to try to just kind of overwrite those. But oftentimes, when they don't understand what the root is, those things are just kind of like spraying, you know, perfume on like a stinky jersey or stinky socks, right? Like, or your stinky running clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're just kind of spraying something Mm -hmm. on it to make it smell better temporarily, but you're not actually washing it to get the stink out, right? And so when I think that, you know, when, when I help people try to find those underlying belief systems, that to me is like, actually washing the stink out, right? Getting down to the root of it and mm-hmm. and clearing it out at the source. And it's, you know, what are some of those belief systems that are coming up for people that are essentially preventing them from doing the work that needs to be done in order for them to achieve their desired outcome? Yeah, that's so interesting. I find that fascinating because it's the same with rehab. You know, you can put yep. kinesio tape on an injury and like, exactly, eh, it might get a little better, but you're not fixing the source mm-hmm. of why you have the pain. So it's the same thing with like mm-hmm. a lot of different aspects of our life, but I never thought yep. about it as part of that mental aspect. But I mean, it totally makes sense because your mantra can only go so far if exactly. you have a lot of work to do internally or like how you see yourself. So mm-hmm. that is super interesting. So when you see a runner that maybe like has tried mantras and like, you know, it's their mental aspect that's getting in the way yeah. more than their physical aspect. Is there something that you try? Like, do you try to talk to them about it? What does that look like? Do you have them journal about it? Or like, what does that mm-hmm. look like if you are trying to get to to the root cause of like why they are self-sabotaging? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And kind of going back to that, that mantra thing, it's like when we try to use just like positive affirmations or mantras, right? Of like when you're out on a run and you're, and you're telling yourself, like if it feels terrible and you're trying to tell yourself, I'm strong, like, and you just repeat that over and over and over again, your brain, like if you don't actually believe that statement, your brain is going to fight you the whole time, right? Like, have you, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know I have, mm-hmm. like where mm-hmm. I'm trying to tell myself something, I'm trying to rewrite this like 
thought where, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm strong. And then your brain, my brain's like, no, you're not. Like you feel mm-hmm. like crap right now. You know, your legs feel like lead. And then your brain starts giving you all the reasons why you're not actually strong. And that's why those positive mantras don't work if you're not getting to the root cause of things. So to answer your question, yes, like there's a lot of different techniques that I use to try to get to these root beliefs. And journaling is definitely one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I see my job as a coach, as a question asker. You know, it's my job to be curious and it's my job to ask the right questions. Like a lot of times people think of a coach as someone that just tells them what to do. And that's not how I see my job. To me, like anybody can do that, right? Like anybody can tell you what to do. I mean, there's AI out there that can give you a training plan now. There's tons of, of things out there. There's a lot of resources. That's not why people need a coach. People need a coach to see the things that they can't see, right? That's my job. Mm-hmm. I It's my job to talk to somebody and to, as they're talking, to listen to them in a way that I can start to find some of those underlying limiting beliefs. And and we can figure that out in, in just talking to people and seeing what is it that they're saying? What is that underlying belief? Like, One of the ways that I think that, like a a very common way that I often hear people self-sabotage is by generalizing, right? They always say, well, I always do it this way or I never do blank. And so what they're doing is they're labeling themselves in a certain way and they don't even realize that they're doing this. One good example would be someone that would want to start waking up early to run, right? And they're like, say they're inconsistent. They're like, I just need to get up early. I need to start waking up early, getting my run in before work. Then I know I'll be more consistent. But every time I've ever tried to do that, I've not been able to do it. Like I just, I can't, I can't wake up early, right? Like I have a really hard time. I'm a night owl. I, I do better in the nighttime, right? So they're putting all of these labels on themselves and all of those things that they're saying as they're talking to me is telling me that they don't believe that they're actually capable of waking up early. They know that mm-hmm. they want to and they believe that that will make them more consistent, but they don't believe that they're the kind of person that can actually accomplish that thing. So their brain always wanting to be right, not wanting to be wrong, always wanting to protect their sense of self and their sense of ego does things like makes them sleep through their alarm. Like, because they don't actually believe, because you ever have that, like, where you're like, how did I sleep through my alarm? This doesn't even make sense. And it's because your brain is essentially like sabotaging it. You're you, you know, because Mm -hmm. you don't actually believe that you're capable of waking up early on a regular basis. Yeah. And it's trying to keep yourself in its comfort zone. It's not trying to Mm -hmm. do these new things. So that is so interesting though, because I mean, I've been that I'm like, I'm that runner that's running three days a week for half. And I just am not running for like, I'm labeling myself. Mm -hmm. I call it also an excuse to not run, you know, four days a week or do X because you're saying I'm this Therefore, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't right. see yourself crossing that line, then you're never able to imagine and put into your brain that mm-hmm. you can actually do that. It's the same thing that mm-hmm. we learned in December, you know, at the conference. Like you have to open up the world of I can do these things. I can see myself doing these things and I can tell myself I can do these things before mm-hmm. I even attempt to do them, you know, so your brain yeah. can start to visualize yourself doing it before it even happens. Mm-hmm. I think that that's such an important point, right? And this is where I think that we have a hard time figuring that out. 
how to do that, right? Because there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, so I just have to like visualize myself doing that and it can happen. And it's like, well, kind of, right? Like you still have mm-hmm. to do the work. Like it's not like you can just sit on your couch and visualize yourself fish- finishing a marathon and then it's going to happen. It's, it's you know, how people get manifestation wrong too. Like you mm-hmm. still have to do the work. You still have to put in the actions. But yes, mm-hmm. you do have to believe that this is possible for you that you are this kind of person. Otherwise, your brain is going to be blocking you from the actions that you do need to do to actually mm-hmm. accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish. And yeah. I think like another another really common way that I see people self-tabotage is confusion. Choosing to be confused and choosing overwhelm, like choosing to not take the next step because they're not sure, right? They're not, they don't understand. Why am I just not doing the thing, right? Like I, I know I need to be consistent. I know I need to wake up. I know I need to be running more. I know I need to do this speed work. I know I need to do my strength training, right? Like so many runners have this huge mental block to strength training because it seems complicated and it mm-hmm. seems confusing and they're not sure which exercises they should be doing or what weights they should be using or how many repetitions or how many sets. Like there's a lot more to strength training and mobility than just going out for a run, especially people that are used to just going out for a run because they've been running for 20 years, right? And so instead of figuring it out and taking the time to just sit down and get some information, we just choose to be confused instead. And Mm -hmm. our brains love patterns, right? So if you're in a pattern of inaction, it will continue that way until we break the pattern and choose to start a different one. Right. So we have to really get honest with ourselves and, and decide, okay, I'm, I don't need to be confused about this. I, what am I doing on those times that it does work out? Cause like, I think that oftentimes going back to generalization, we say like, I always do this or I never do this, you know, or I, I only run, I never strength train. You probably have at some point in time, you've probably done some, some sort of exercise. Right. So what have you done in those times that you've been successful and how can you repeat? more of those patterns and more of those actions to help you be successful versus just saying like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, seek out a professional, Mm -hmm. do something, take one step in a different direction to start creating a new pattern of action. And you'll start to continue more on that path versus the pattern of confusion. Definitely. And that's what the book Atomic Habits talks about is like, just take one. I love that book. Same. I read it every year. It's the best book for habit change for sure. Yeah. And it's really Mm -hmm. about like, if you're going to throw a big goal into your 2024 New Year's resolutions, then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to do that. It is easy. I've been there. It's easy to say, I'm going to run a marathon this year. I'm going to do X. And it's just like a huge goal that you kind of pull it out of the air and you're just like, I'm going to do it. I'll figure out how to do it later, but I'm going to do it. I want to do it. But then when it comes down to it and you're like, wait, when am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? It's about Mm -hmm. breaking up that goal into little pieces. So then you can take Mm -hmm. one small step, one small step. And then that's when your brain starts to open up the idea too of like, oh, maybe I can do this as long as you stay consistent with those small steps. Because it's just like with anything, those small steps turn into big, bigger steps. It's that with rehab, like any new skill you're learning. So I always find that very, very interesting because we hear all the time, like you're confused about strength training, you don't know where to start. But then when you actually start doing it, it's like, oh, you know, maybe you've been putting it off for months or even years. And then when you actually start doing it, even if you're doing like four movements and you're like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, you know, like I really just had to go out there and 
do something and then I'll right. learn along the way because it doesn't have to be 100% perfect the first mm-hmm. time that I'm doing it. Yeah. And I think it's also believing in the process and trusting the process too, right? Because I think that sometimes yeah. runners, when they do start the strength training, they think, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad or that wasn't that hard. Is this mm-hmm. really helping me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Definitely. They think that like it has to be hard in order for it to actually be effective. It has to feel like a certain level of intensity for it to be doing anything. There's a lot of people that, you know, operate by that push harder to get faster, no pain, no gain type of mentality, um, which are for sure limiting beliefs when it comes to making progress as a runner. You know, yeah. I operated from those beliefs for a very long time because growing up, I was not a runner. I, I played volleyball, basketball, and softball, and that's what the coaches told us, right? And so when I mm-hmm. came into running, I thought it was the same thing, and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Like you and I both personally and professionally subscribe to more of like the 80-20 rule, a more polarized training where you have to do most of your running at an easy pace, and then some of it needs to feel hard. And so mm-hmm. when you're coming from this mentality of, well, I just have to push harder if I'm going to get faster. I just have to keep doing more than to accept the idea that I can run slower and that will actually improve my speed as a runner. Like, how does that make sense? Right. Or I can do these handful of strength training exercises that don't even make me sweat and that's going to help me as a runner. How is that going to improve my time? How is that going to decrease my injury risk? And Mm -hmm. so it's hard for people to sometimes get on board with it because they don't believe that it's true. And if you don't believe it's true, it's going to be hard for you to actually do those things. And so that's where it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If like, is this really going to work? And then you're like, nah, like, nah, it probably isn't going to work. So then you don't do the exercises. So then you don't get the benefits, right? And then it, you're just, you're right back to where you started from because you didn't actually do the thing you needed to do to see the progress. Yep. Or you'll find, I see like you'll compare yourself to someone else on social media that maybe has say like a slower pace time than you. And you're like, well, they're not Mm -hmm. running the same pace as me. So it's not going to work for me. It's just working for them. You know, so it's like finding an excuse and labeling yourself as like, I don't need to do that because maybe, you know, they're not training for Boston, even though they got faster running at a slower pace. So I don't need to do that. I need to do my own thing. And like, I'm not qualified or I'm I don't have to be doing that because my goal is different and like piecing things apart to find mm-hmm. a reason not to do things. But I find that when when a runner is doing that, like maybe they're quote labeling themselves a certain way, like I run five days a week, I don't strength train and I'm not injured. It almost mm-hmm. comes across now as like bragging, you know, like I, I can yeah. do this and I, you know, I'm kind of like the oddball in the room that I can get away with out getting injured. And like, it just comes across as like bragging now, because that's the way I see it. I'm sure people see it differently. But because there's so much information on social media, where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the PTs are preaching, you got to be strength training, got to be strength training, it helps with injury prevention, you got to slow down. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I can do that without getting injured. And like, I'm kind of like more confident because I can do it without getting injured. But it's like, no, that that's, that's, another way that you're self-sabotaging yourself. You don't, you know, just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that you should be doing it, you know? Right. Well, and it's justification. It's essentially them justifying their own behavior. It's justifying what they're doing and thinking that they're, you know, the diamond in the rough, like they're the the -hmm. special diamond out there that doesn't have to do it the same way that everybody else does. And 
okay, maybe right now it's working that way for you, but is it still going to be the same thing in five years or 10 years down the road? Do you still want to be running at that time? You know, because Mm -hmm. if you're someone that is looking to continue to run into your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, you're going to have to train differently than if you're just trying to get every last drop out of yourself in your 20s, right? Like Mm -hmm. the way that elite runners train is not the way that most of us can go about our training. We can take lessons from them. Like we can take highlights and understand like some of the principles of what they're doing, but we have different goals than a lot of those elite runners. And I mean, to, to that end, right, the, all elite runners now are strength training, I would mm-hmm. I would say. Like, I think you'd mm-hmm. be hard pressed to find a, any sort of elite or professional runner that's not doing any sort of strength training. They're all doing mm-hmm. it because they the research is there, right? And their mm-hmm. coaches know that. And they're, they have strength and conditioning coaches and they have nutritionists. They understand what it's like to need to be that well-rounded athlete. And just because, you know, there's someone out there on social media saying that they run and they don't have to strength train and they've been getting faster doesn't mean that that works for the majority of people. Yep. And I always think about it as like, okay, you can do that, but you could be leaving a lot of potential on the table. Like you might be like, I'm getting faster, but if you added in strength training or maybe added in a rest day or something like that, Mm -hmm. like you could take your performance like probably to the next level versus it being a slow progression. So I always think about like what's left on the table. Like you don't even know what Mm -hmm. potential you could have. Like maybe you qualified for Boston and you haven't done any strength training. I seem to be getting a lot of clients like that recently and it's like wow we have a lot of potential there's so much potential so which is exciting exactly that's super exciting as a coach like I love when I get people in you know that um aren't doing strength training or aren't doing speed work yet you know they've just been able to progress and do very well for themselves without it and I get super excited because I'm like oh my gosh just like what you're saying you know like the amount of potential that's here when you just start to do things a little bit differently is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if I'm a runner and I know I self-sabotage myself and like maybe in the fall, I want to start training for my first marathon, half marathon, a distance I haven't done before, but I also mm-hmm. know that I struggle well with self-sabotaging myself. Do you recommend that that runner starts journaling or like tries to figure it out on their own or works with a run coach or what do you recommend for that runner? I think it depends on their personality. You know, I think that there's a lot of really great resources now where if if people are willing to put in a lot of time to figure it out on on their own, they can, right? There's a lot of really great resources. There's a lot of really great podcasts that can help you figure this out. You know, um, we, we go through this on our podcast a lot and there's a lot of other resources out there and available that can help. Like you've already mentioned a couple on on the podcast, right? Atomic Habits, a great book. Like there's tons of really great books all about, you know, training the mental side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they want to do it on their own, there's certainly plenty of resources. Journaling is a great tool to use um, because that will start to give you an insight to some of the thoughts that you are thinking. A lot of us don't even know, right? Because we just have these thoughts just swirling around in our heads and we're not even aware of what they are and what kind of effect that they're having on us. So that that's a great start for sure. And then obviously, like kind of like anything, a coach is a shortcut, 
right? The, the coach mm-hmm. is the shortcut that can help you see things that you can't see yourself and help you fix things in a way that are going to be more effective for you. You know, I always mm-hmm. see myself as a coach, as, as a lens, as essentially a mirror to help reflect back to them what it is they're saying and how it is that that's affecting what they are currently able to achieve and, you know, where they're leaving things on the table, like you said. So the coach is the coach is the shortcut. And it's also like a way that you can dive a little bit deeper into these things, because I always like to Mm -hmm. see running as a metaphor for the rest of our life. Like the things that we learn in running are definitely showing up in other areas of our life for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So how is this limiting belief that you have about yourself as a runner or what your abilities are as a runner, how is that showing up in other areas of your life too? And so I love to coach people on that as well, because I think that running is really just a vehicle for us to grow as humans. And so helping them see kind of those connections is really um, rewarding and really fun and watching the way that people can literally change their lives through running because running exposes us to a lot of our own weaknesses, right? Both physical Mm -hmm. and mental. Like when you are in those hard runs, when you're in those hard races or those workouts and you want to quit, you want to give up, what do you do, right? Like how do you react? What are you saying to yourself in those moments? Um, And then how does that carry over into other areas of your life? I think that's um, a really interesting thing to kind of dive into. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to note too that not all run coaches are the same, just like how not all physical therapists are the same. You want a run coach that is going to look at the whole picture and not Mm -hmm. just only honing in on how many runs per week. Like these are the speed workouts we're going to do. This is what you have to do. This, this, and this. If you have questions, let me know. Like you need, especially if you're struggling with this side, because again, like it's the mental training. It's so, so important for your performance. Yeah. You have to be able to talk to your run coach about that because that's how you're going to get the shortcut, not just working with any run coach, but working with one that sees the mental and physical side of running and takes both and analyzes them because, you know, I still think the mental performance is more important than the physical performance and how you can show up. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, it's what you believe is important too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. sure. A running, like I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, right? Like having that holistic approach and and seeing the runner as a whole person is extremely important because you know one of the things we always say is that your real life affects your running and your running affects your real life. Like a lot of times people want to keep these things in two separate boxes, but they're not. Like everything mm-hmm. is interconnected. And so when I have a runner that's maybe not hitting the times or or not hitting the goals that they have set for themselves. I I asked them, like, how much sleep are you getting? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, how are you fueling your body here? What what else is going on in in, in your life? Like, are are things stressful at home? Are things stressful at work? Because stress is stress. You know, mm-hmm. people think that there's physical stress and there's emotional stress. It's all stress in the body. Those are all releasing stress hormones in your body, and it's it's affecting the way that you recover, which is then going to affect the way that you are able to show up on your harder workouts and what you're able to accomplish on those days. And so sometimes it has nothing to do with your actual physical ability and it has everything to do or a lot more to do with everything else that's going on in your life right now. You know, Mm -hmm. do you have a newborn? Are you planning a wedding? Like, are you, you know, taking care of an aging parent right now? And and that's Mm -hmm. really high on your priority list. Like what else is going on? Because 
if you're trying to do those things and also train for a 100 mile ultra marathon, maybe those things aren't compatible right now in this moment of your life, right? Not to say that that thing is never possible. I I always tell people, if you have the desire to achieve something, it's possible for you, you know, just by you alone having that desire. And at the same time, you have to be honest with yourself and evaluate, is now really the best time for me to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. And is is that really my priority? Because, you know, there's different seasons for different goals. And I think it's important yeah. for us to remember that too. I could not agree more. I am planning a wedding in the winter in December. I and- know. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I posted on social media and people are like, well, you can do both. And it's like, you know, there's emotional stress, physical stress, mental stress. And it's like, it's all stress, but training is stress too. You know, training is fun, but just because it's fun, you know, it's still stress on the body. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to do both too. So it's like- And that's the thing. Just because you can doesn't mean you want to, right? It doesn't mean that you should. Doesn't mean that that's the right choice. Could you do it? Sure, right? Mm -hmm. Would it be the best experience? Who knows, right? Like maybe, maybe, maybe it would be fine. Maybe not, you know, but I think that that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of runners also get into trouble is they think of running as stress relief and as therapy. And it can be sometimes, well, running is not therapy. Let's just, we'll just put that out there too. But there Mm -hmm. is, you know, there can be a stress relieving component to running sometimes if you're just going out and running. But if you're training for a race like a marathon, that is not necessarily a stress relieving activity, right? Like one would argue that is more stress inducing than stress relieving. Maybe sometimes your runs can relieve some stress, but when you're training for a goal like that, the goal is not really stress relief. The goal is performance and, and being able to accomplish that race goal that you have set for yourself. So in that way, you know, your intention is what matters more than anything. And, you know, is that the right goal for you right now? Yeah, exactly. And so important. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to do it. Do, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to look at the whole picture of what is best for you, not what is someone else doing so you think you can do it. I think that's really important. Um, Let's talk about how the mental aspect affects injuries, because I think that Mm -hmm. this is, again, something that is not talked about a lot, but it is so, so important with not only preventing injuries, because we talked a little bit about that, but now contributing to injuries. Do you think that there's a pretty big correlation between how you're thinking, self-sabotaging, and leading up to an injury? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. There's a a correlation. Because again, kind of going back to what we were talking about before with this whole idea of like, I just need to push harder to get better. I just need to do more in order for me to improve, right? Thinking that running is the only thing that matters. And as long as I just increase my mileage, then I'll be fine. You know, I'll be Mm -hmm. able to train for that half marathon or that marathon or whatever that goal is for you. So it's that underlying belief of more is better, of pushing harder is better, that often leads to injuries, right? There's a lot of things that lead to injuries. I like to talk about the law of the twos, right? Like the mistake of the twos. Like if you're doing too much, too soon, too often, or you're pushing too hard, those to me are like the the four main contributors to injury. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing too much before your body is ready for it. You're training too often without giving your body enough recovery time. You're um, pushing too hard on your workouts, right? And you're Mm -hmm. doing all of it too soon. You're ramping up your mileage too quickly, right? And there's, so those are like the four main things and all of those things contribute to injuries and all of those things are based in your thoughts on what it is that's going to lead to improvement, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're someone that thinks that you need to push harder to get faster and you're going out and you're doing all of your runs at like a medium, we're not even talking about hard intensity. Like we're not saying that you're going out and sprinting all the time. I think this is what people think of when when we say, oh, you're going out and pushing hard all the time. We're not talking about going out and just sprinting the whole run. But if most of your runs feel moderate to like moderately hard, on every day, that's too much intensity, right? Your mm-hmm. runs need, the majority need to feel actually easy where your breathing feels relaxed, your legs feel fine. You can maintain a conversation with somebody. If you're pushing mm-hmm. too hard, that's going to lead to injury, right? If you're if you're going out and you're running too frequently, if you're someone that believes that, well, if I just need to, I just need to do more and I, I decide I'm going to run four or five, six, seven days a week, I'm not going to take any rest days or I'm going to take days that I'm not running, but I'm going to make sure I'm cross training on those days because I can't have a day that I don't do anything, right? Like rest days, I just can't, I can't, can't handle rest days, right? Um, that, that can often lead to problems if not done intelligently, right? Not saying mm-hmm. that you can't train most days, but it depends on what you're doing on those days. What is the intensity of what you're doing on those days, right? And so I think that like those are really, to me, like the big four of, of the way that we're thinking and how we structure our training, how we structure our week that ends up leading to the injury cycle. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know when I tell clients to slow down and like really slow down, like yeah, more than you have before. And then I always get back. I don't feel like I went for a run after my run. Mm-hmm. And that is right. okay. That is to yeah. me saying you went at a good pace. That is your easy pace. And I mm-hmm. think that's really important because then not only are you reserved you know, you're reserving your energy for your speed workouts and you're able to recover faster. And there's so many other things that are helping you prevent injuries when you do that. So much of it is because of the ego, right? Yes. I think yep, that like we, we, the ego gets in our way all the time because we have this idea in our head of the pace that we quote unquote should be running, right? Like if I, if I run if if I'm trying to shoot for, you know, a sub two hour half marathon, then I know I, I need to run that at like a nine minute pace. So if I'm running a 10 or 11 or a 12 minute pace, that's too slow, right? Mm-hmm. Or I have a lot of times people that will come to me and they already have this idea of I'm a slow runner. That this is how they've identified themselves already. This is the label and the identity that they have taken on. So they're saying, I'm a slow runner and I want to get faster. And I'm telling them, you need to run even slower. <laughs> It doesn't jive well with them, right? Like that's a huge disconnect because their ego is telling them, well, I'm already slow and she's wanting me to run even slower. Like what are other people going to think? What Mm -hmm. are people going to think of me if I have to take a walking break during my runs in in order to actually maintain a level two? Right? Mm-hmm. How? What is? What is that going to look like? What are my running friends going to think of me? Am, am I even a runner if I do that? If I take walking breaks, can I even call myself a runner? Right? And so this, I mean, all of that is mental chatter. Yeah. Like what we're asking you to do is like go out and run slower. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're actually asking you to do. It's all of the mental chatter about what that means and what we're choosing to make that mean. And a lot of people equate running slower with a decline in their progress. Well, I'm not progressing if I'm running slower, right? I'm actually I'm actually declining. And so it's hard for people to get on board with this idea a lot. And again, the idea of it, not not for them to actually go out and do it. Like some people, when they actually go out and try it, they have a hard time kind of figuring out cadence and they kind of feel awkward, right? So there's like a physical barrier to some people of, of trying to figure out how to run slower. Um, but so much of the barrier to running slower is mental because of what they're making that mean. Yeah, a thousand percent. I know for me, I only saw myself as having a good workout if I ran at X pace or faster. And I mean, I did that for years. And then when I Mm -hmm. finally was like, okay, like seeing all this stuff about slowing down, maybe I should slow down. So I, it took me two months of thinking about it before I actually slowed down 30 seconds slower than that X pace. So, and I was like, wow, this is fun. Like I remember being like, this is more fun. (laughs) Like I actually am enjoying my runs more than this and the pressure I Mm -hmm. put on myself for every single run saying, if I don't run at this pace or faster, it's, it's a flop. Like it's a failure. You know, I'm a failure. It's this, this run is like doing me no good. And, Mm -hmm. and then that pace turned into me running two minutes slower than that pace for training for the marathon. And I was like, this is even better. You know, like it's yeah, so crazy how you first have to like think about it and then believe that you can do it and then do it before you actually take action. So I think mm-hmm. seeing on, you know, even, you know, social media, it's good or bad, but seeing that some people are slowing down and like you can get faster. Yeah. I think that is encouraging for a lot of people to be like, oh, maybe I should do that. You know, it doesn't have to be just go, go, go at that medium to hard pace all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you see that even from the elite athletes all the time, you know, people that are running five minute pace for a a marathon, they're doing Mm -hmm. training runs at like eight, nine, 10 minute pace even, right? Like Mm -hmm. some of the elite Kenyan runners start out at like a 10 minute pace and then they gradually get faster, you know, and they're, but they're still running three minutes slower in their recovery and easy runs than they're doing, you know, per mile, three minutes per mile slower than what they would do in a marathon. Right. And so, yeah. and it's even more, it's even a bigger difference for people that run like the, the 5k, you know, or the, the 1500 in the Olympics, like their pace is even slower. Right. So, mm-hmm. or there's even a, a bigger discrepancy between their race pace and their, their easy recovery pace. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This conversation has been fascinating. And I'm like, you know, as we're going through, I'm like thinking about the things that I've done. I already mentioned the pace. Another thing that I've done is with fueling. I used to only think mm-hmm. that, even before I trained for the marathon, thank goodness I actually trained with fuel for the marathon. But for my first two halves, I did not fuel once. I think I took yeah. like two salt sticks. Like that's not fueling though. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm not a an elite athlete. I'm not an in, intense runner. So I don't need to be right. fueling. Meanwhile, I'm just hitting a wall left and right and yeah. absolutely dying. But it's like, okay, well, <laughs> if I got that out of my head and realized Mm -hmm. like anyone should be fueling as a runner. It doesn't really matter. Like I'm really happy I stayed open to that for the marathon, but it's like just thinking about all these things and it's like, oh my goodness, it's very eye-opening about my performance too. 
Oh yeah, it's crazy, right? And like, you know, so many of like the fueling is such a, a huge one, right? Of like, oh well, I don't need fuel or mm-hmm. there's a lot of runners, you know, and this this is this would lead it into a us into a, a whole nother rabbit hole that we probably don't want to go down today, but maybe this could be part two, uh, you know, another episode. But like, you know, this idea of fueling and um a lot of runners get into running to like lose weight or to get in shape, mm-hmm. right? And so they think that well if if they're fueling on a run, that's more their calories that they're taking in and not burning. And it's like, they might not even realize that this is like this deep seated belief that they have from like 10, 20 years ago. Right. And they're like, Oh, I I don't need it. And it's like, well, do you want to feel better on your run? Do you want to be able to run stronger and not feel just completely wrecked at the end of your Mm -hmm. run long run or at the end of your race? Like, then your body needs fuel. And and more and more research keeps emerging about the importance of fueling during these endurance events and also the amount that you take in, you know, it is a lot more than they used to think it was too. Like that runners and, and endurance athletes can take in actually a lot more carbohydrates during an event than they thought previously perform and, and show that they're performing even better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that. We should have a part two because I could definitely speak about that from my experience last year and like how I actually yeah. ended up losing weight from fueling more during a race. Mm-hmm. So that's something that took me yeah. a long time to actually mm-hmm. fuel. And then I thought I was going to be gaining weight during the marathon training. Yeah. Ended up losing all this weight. Again, there's so many factors to weight loss, but like I had in my head, I'm fueling more. I'm taking in yep. more calories. Even even though I'm running mm-hmm. more, so I'm just going to gain weight. Like I had accepted it, so I was okay with yep. it, but then it completely And then the opposite you know. happened, which is so yeah. interesting, right? And there are so yeah. many people that go in and like sign up for a marathon as a way to lose weight and they end up gaining weight in the process because they're restricting mm-hmm. too much. And so then their body doesn't know what to do and their body's just holding on to everything that it has. And so, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's it is fascinating. We, what we can do is we'll do part two on, uh, on my podcast. I'll have you as a guest on my podcast and then we'll we'll do part two. That's awesome. That's perfect. So (laughs) thank you so much, Angie. This has been amazing and very eye-opening. And where can everyone uh, find you so they can follow you and check out your stuff? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. This has definitely been a fun conversation. Um, I'm at Real Life Runners on all of the platforms. So our, we have, our podcast is also called Real Life Runners on Instagram. We're at Real Life Runners, and that is with two L's. Real Life Runners. Like everyone's always like two L's, and I'm like, yes, two L's. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, all of the all of the platforms were Real Life Runners everywhere. So come check awesome. us out. Awesome. Yeah, definitely Thanks, Lisa. awesome. Thank you so much.